That is not a coincidence, that is foul play. <gasps> I am in utter shock and disbelief right now. I'm Sarah, and on January 19th, 2023, I was almost kidnapped. He grabbed me by the arm. From that point forward, how has it affected your life? Sorry. <clears throat> I can't imagine her just leaving Nova Grace. I have a cash app request. Just these awful threats of what we're gonna find her on the side of the road. We're gonna fight her in pieces. Anybody seen Holland? She messaged me. She's like, "You talked to Holland?" I was like, "No, I haven't." And I just knew no one's gonna stop looking for her, and it's not a game. I'm on my way to Kingsport, Tennessee. Nineteen and twenty-year-old, twenty-one-year-old girls don't just go missing and not contact people. We live in the era of social media. I know with a lot of the like teen girls I dealt with, they're kind of like the ideal victim in a way because you gotta think about it, you know, especially with addiction and stuff, is you're in already like a low vulnerable place. At this point, it is hard to deny that something is going on in Tennessee and people need to be made aware at how dangerous the state is becoming. Before we jump in, please bring your attention to my TV. Thank you for tuning in to Crime Brought to Light. Before we begin, I want to clarify that everything I talk about today is solely my opinion based on the research I've conducted and is 100% alleged. The purpose of Crime Brought to Light is to not only talk about true crime cases that interest me, but to also unsilence those who have been silenced by the media. If you or someone you know has a case that has been swept under the rug, email me at crimebroughttolight at gmail.com. If you're a viewer and want to support me each time I have a sponsorship, please check them out as it helps me. Go ahead and start your cleaning or secure yourself under a soft blanket because we are about to dive headfirst into some pretty dark stuff. The town of Kingsport, Tennessee is home to over 55,000 residents. The amount of individuals that commit crime is 7.43 out of every 1,000 residents every year. The area is known for its tasty fast food restaurant that I found was extremely delicious, known as Pals. They also have a lot of scenic walks, and everyone that lives in Kingsport is extremely friendly. But there's one thing that they don't tell you about, and that is the high risk of human trafficking. Yes, Tennessee is known for their southern hospitality, but every state has a corner where dark things occur. Don't take this information from me either. According to WJHL.com, which is a local news report, they state, quote, TBI's geographical divisions found work against human trafficking is well organized in Upper East Tennessee, but the region faces some of the highest risks. There is a prevalence of SA, DV, drug offenses, and related crimes in Upper East region of the state, and these are crimes that are highly correlated with the presence of trafficking or can escalate to trafficking. In a way, I am wrong. It's not just Kingsport, Tennessee, but is the entire Northeast area of the state. If you still have doubts in your mind and you think, not my sweet Tennessee, it is so innocent, so nice, Think again. I had a dear friend of mine share her very personal story of the time that she was almost kidnapped and guess where she lives? Northeast Tennessee. Her one year anniversary is in January and she is now ready to speak on the incident. This is her story. Hi, I'm Sarah, and on January 19th, 2023, I was almost kidnapped in East Tennessee. I was at my apartment complex 
recently picked up my dog. Um, she's a golden doodle, so I took her to like a training facility. They told me when I picked her up that I had to train her off leash, like whenever she got home. So I was like, okay. So every day I would have to take her like on a 15, 30 minute walk to train off leash. So I was taking her on a walk before I went to the gym with my friends. I was coming back to my apartment and I saw a car. They were like making loops in my apartment complex. Um, and it's in the middle of January, so it's cold. So that, And they had their windows down. So I thought at first, like, that's a little weird. But also, we don't really have lights in my apartment. Well, where I used to live. So I was like, okay, well, maybe they're DoorDash and they're looking for something. I, I didn't know. About the third time that I saw them, um, I heard one of them say, grab her. And I thought they were talking about my dog. Because I'm like, okay, she's a golden doodle. She's off leash. She's going to be easy to grab. So that's like immediately where my head went. So I was like, crap, <laughs> this is not good. And the guy said, okay, make a lap around. And I was like, oh crap. So I was walking really fast at this point back to my apartment. So I got back in my apartment with my dogs and I locked the door and I sat in my apartment probably for about 15 minutes just to make sure. I looked out my window and I didn't see them. So I was like, okay, great. Like, I was supposed to go to the gym anyways. Like, I'm just gonna go to my car and go to the gym. I was heading to my car, and right when I got like to my door, I heard I heard someone say, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And when I turned around, it was the guy that was in the passenger seat of the car. And I said, no, I'm, I'm good. I was trying to get in my car, and then he was like really, really close to me. He grabbed me by the arm, and, um, sorry. Um, <clears throat> He grabbed me by the arm and was like, I just need to speak to you. And I just, I kind of blacked out. Um, I just kind of like started flailing like my body because I didn't really know what to do. I've never like been taught how to fight somebody off. So I was just like, I just started like becoming dead weight and just was like flailing everywhere. And just, I don't even know what I was doing. And I somehow hit him in in the face so hard. I mean, I heard it hit his jaw and he, he, he like yelped and said, you bitch. And he stumbled backwards enough for me to hurry and get in my car and I shut the door and locked it. And so I just started my car and I peeled out and they started following me. I called the cops and I was on the phone with the cops the entire time. Um, and I was just like, I don't know where to go. They're right behind me and I, I they eventually stopped following me on the interstate because um, I put my flashers on because the cops told me to put my flashers on because they were trying to find me on the interstate and I think it tipped them off that I was on the phone with the police. And were they ever caught? Yeah, so there were three men. There was somebody in the driver's seat, the passenger seat, and someone sitting directly behind the driver. My dad, so my dad used to be a police officer and then he became a U.S. Marshal. I don't want to say he instilled fear into us, but he always said, always be aware of your surroundings. And I always thought that was so bogus, but I was just kind of like, okay, like, you're just paranoid. When they, when that guy was like grabbing me, my first thought was, remember everything. And I described the man that grabbed me so accurately to the cops. I mean, <laughs> I was like, this is how tall he was. Like, I think he was around this weight. He had blonde, shaggy hair. Like, he was really young. 
he had a blue bass t-shirt on like I don't know how I remembered that um and he had a ball cap and I remembered the car and I didn't remember the other two men because it was dark and I couldn't really see them but I could see the colors of their shirts the man that grabbed me was caught um it, it took a couple months but he attempted to um kidnap another young female she was 16 um, and the only reason he was caught was because there was a ring camera where she was thankfully she also got away he was in the same vehicle and it caught license plate and everything on the car um, so that's how he was caught the guy that was driving the car was also caught only because the man that grabbed me was upset in jail and ratted him out and they still have not found the third guy from that point forward how has it affected your life i i mean i don't do well at nighttime it's almost been a year i have only went somewhere by myself twice since then i have really bad nightmares i ended up moving from that apartment complex because at the time they hadn't found him i was terrified that they were going to come back and get me um so I couldn't live there anymore, honestly. I got diagnosed with PTSD and was prescribed anxiety and depression medicine, but I'm still extremely fearful, um, especially in like big crowds. I remember trying to go to a basketball game and I had a panic attack because there were so many people. And at the time the guys weren't caught. So I was like, That's, they're probably here. And like, I just felt like I was being stalked. I mean, I don't feel that part now just because two of them have been caught, but there is still that fear of, do I look like an easy target? Is it, am I noticeable that this happened to me? Growing up, you know, things would happen outside of your home and you would come home and you'd be like, oh, this is like where you can like relax, right? Like you can come home and just feel at peace. And because it happened at where I was living, it was like, I was safe until I wasn't. Like if it can happen to me where I'm supposed to feel the safest, like where do I go to feel safe again? Yeah, it's definitely, it's affected a lot. <laughs> For anyone who may be feeling that human trafficking is not an issue, mm -hmm. what would you have to say to them? Um, it's actually a, a very large issue. Um, when I caught the cops, that's the first thing I said is I, I didn't think that this was real. I'll be honest, you see it in movies or you know, you see in other big cities like New York City, or you never think, oh, this can happen in East Tennessee. And it's very much real. Um, there's a lot of cases and they actually don't get talked about enough. I wish I was more prepared. Prepare yourself. I carry mace and a taser everywhere I go now. Take classes, take self-defense classes. Don't be so comfortable. Don't be in fear, but don't, don't think you're invincible because I definitely thought I was. If you decide to leave a comment in regards to Sarah and her story, please make sure that it is filled with nothing but love and support. I've personally watched her go through what some would call hell on earth, and I can see nothing but a brave, independent woman who is capable of great things. Now that I've kind of pitched my stance on how dangerous Tennessee actually is becoming, let's talk about the three missing women all from Kingsport, Tennessee. As I go through each story of all three of these missing women, I couldn't help but see that they all seem to be very much so connected. Especially when I read about the most recent missing person, I had chills from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. All I can say is buckle up. Layla is, is a big, bright, 
ball of energy wide open all the time just lit up full of energy she's hilarious stubborn brave extremely strong both physically and mentally on June 24th of this year, Layla's mom, Jennifer, received a very alarming message. Now, it's a little confusing, so just stay with me, but Jennifer received a message through Layla's Facebook account that was Layla's boyfriend using her account, asking if Layla was in jail or had been missing because he hadn't heard from her. Obviously, Jennifer had no idea that her daughter was even missing at this point, so she began to call into different hospitals or different jails to see if that was the case. From that point forward, a snowball of questions began to roll. It's like a Saturday night and we're all hanging out at the house and I get this weird message from her account, but it's clearly not her. She and her boyfriend were sharing a phone and it's him asking if do you know if Layla's in jail? And I'm like, what kind of a question is that? And so I respond with questions. Why would she be in jail? What are you talking about? Why is she not with you? And there's no responses. So I get with some other family members. We call the jails. We look up online. We call some hospitals. She's not any of those places. I went to bed and when I woke up in the morning, I had gotten a text message from her at 11 something that the night before. And I just said, I'm okay. So I immediately start texting at 6.45 in the morning. I'm texting her. I'm like, oh, thank God you're okay. Why did he think you're in jail? And he, she just very short answers, which is not very like her. And I'm just, okay, be safe. Please be safe. I love you. And that's that. At this point, there's nothing weird happening. It's just that in my thought processes i'm thinking she got tired of the toxic relationship she was in and she walked away from it and because he has access to that account where they were sharing a phone he doesn't want to describe all that to me in a via text and she'll call me later her boyfriend had been reaching out to not just me but also her biological father and the next morning he texted me again from layla's account saying like oh don't you know what kind of terrible things can happen to a young girl out there on their own. Like, I don't know where she is. I can't find her. And at this point, I'm like, I've heard from her. He's saying he's heard from her. I felt very confident that I would get that phone call. According to the US Sun, they write, quote, Layla and her boyfriend had a falling out days prior and Layla had been staying with friends for a few nights before checking into the AmeriCorps Motel along American Way on June 25th. Guests who were staying at the AmeriCorps Motel and saw Layla claimed that she was extremely painful paranoid. She was barefoot and trying to hide from anything and everyone. They had opened a missing persons investigation. Detectives had showed up at the boyfriend's house, interviewed everyone. Everyone seemed to cooperate just fine. We get an update from detectives who have tracked her where she was Saturday, where she was Sunday. Monday gets a little bit hazy, but then there were witnesses at the AmeriCourt Hotel in Kingsport that had seen her acting erratically, knocking on different doors, like almost as if she was out of it and she forgot what room she was in, but she was also acting like she was afraid of something. Like at one point, a witness had like let her into their room and was trying to talk to her and she had like run in and like crouched down real low and like was hiding away from the door. I don't know. People were offering to help her. Do you need help? Do you need a ride? What can I do? And she really wasn't paying anyone else any mind. What we're about to discuss is more of a sensitive topic, though it is public knowledge on news articles. 
and let me specify that this is just a speculation. Some people believe that her abnormal behavior could have been tied to drug addiction. It's no secret that Layla did struggle with addiction in the past, and this could have very well just been another falling out. When it comes to people who are suffering with addiction or substance abuse issues, it's a very controversial topic, and a lot of people say, well, that was a decision that they made. And the first decision of someone doing any type of drug is 100% their decision. But from that point forward, an addiction forms and that becomes a disease. I've also talked about cases in the past of where someone was struggling with addiction or substance abuse issues and people have commented, well, they deserved it because that's the life they chose. And I 100% disagree with that statement. I personally make mistakes every single day and just because I make a mistake does not mean that I deserve to be kidnapped or go missing. The next morning, she was seen sort of popping up out of a field. Behind the American Hotel, there's like woods and then a little field. And then there's a warehouse back there that's like active. People work there. Guys were coming to work. So it had to be like seven, eight in the morning. And they saw a young girl, blonde hair, wearing the same clothes as Layla was wearing, no shoes pop up out of the grass, kind of look around as though she was looking for something. And then she walked across the field, approached one of the men and asked for a cigarette. And he was like, I'm sorry, I don't smoke. And he said that she was super polite and she took off walking towards, there's like a bike trail that runs back there. Several hours later, there's another witness report of her being at the Marble Slab Creamery. From eight o'clock to noon, there's about four hours where no one saw her, not even like people that had been on the trail that day. But then all of a sudden she pops up at the Amer at the Marble Slab Creamery, sitting out back by herself, no shoes, disheveled, looking distraught and afraid. The marble, the woman at the Marble Slab who was working that day saw her sitting out on the patio and like offered some ice, are you okay? They chatted. She didn't say anything too detailed to this woman. She makes a phone call. She was trying to call for a ride, but whoever was on the other end of the phone said that they were too far away. They weren't going to get there in time. And she only made the one call. Then she, you know, said thank you and goodbye to the lady and said, I'm going to go get me some flip flops over at Five Below. And she never made it to Five Below. And that is the last day that anyone has saw 21 year old Layla Santanello. Jennifer received a very alarming cash app request. This is what Jennifer said on the interview. And Layla's dad's girlfriend sends me a screenshot of a cash app request from Layla's account and it was TWL whatever they will or won't let me go initials and it took us like a good 10 minutes to figure that out we're like what is this I don't understand these letters like this doesn't make any sense to us and then all of a sudden it made got very very clear and I was like they will they will let me go they won't let me go like what is happening she and I start kind of trying to have a conversation back and forth via cash app and you got to send a dollar to leave a note, to ask a question, to try and get your question answered. Like, it's just an insane thing that's happening. I'm excited now because I'm thinking she is on the other end of this phone. And whatever's going on, we'll be able to get to the bottom of it. I remember we called the police, too, and told them. And at first, they were kind of like, oh, it's a scam. <laughs> And I was like, yes, but she's missing. Like, this doesn't make any sense. We started to get a little smarter, started asking questions that only Layla would know the answers to. Like, what's your baby brother's middle name? And what's your oldest brother's birthday? And just things that only she would know. And they are now ignoring those questions. 
So I'm over here, like, if this is actually my daughter and she's actually in distress and she actually wants me to pay this money, she's going to give those answers. Layla's dad's girlfriend continued to engage for a few days. And the tech, like, the, the, the messages got really ugly. Just these awful threats of what, you're, we're going to find her on the side of the road. We're going to find her in pieces. Like, just all these awful, awful things. And it took them about three weeks, maybe a little longer, to track everything down and get an address from where all of that was coming from. But she wasn't there. The house was raided. Evidence was brought in. Layla had spent time in this home, but she wasn't there. And she wasn't, they weren't holding her. They, they, there was no reason to believe she was being actually being ransomed or whatever. This was just some kind of crazy crime of opportunity where this person realized, oh, hey, I have access to this account. Let me see if I can mess with the parents a little bit and get me some money. I would love to speak my thoughts and feelings to the person behind the cash app requests, but if I did, the entire video would probably be taken down because I have nothing nice to say to this individual. When it comes to any missing person's case, no matter how old or young someone may be, the question of did they run away comes to play in any case. When interviewing Jennifer, I asked her if there was any way possible that Layla could have just ran away. This is what she said. Anything is possible. I will say that. I will say that anything is possible. And I, you know, I, I often pray that that is the case, that she's somewhere doing well and just didn't want to be with us anymore. There's a couple factors that make me think twice about that. Uh, her daughter, for one, I just can't, I can't imagine her just leaving Nova Grace. Layla's always been a very independent person, but in this weird codependent way. The way that she is, I can't imagine her going more than a week without calling one of us. And then her birthday, she is the type of person that will start telling you in February all about what she wants to do for her birthday in August. She went missing on June 27th. It was about five weeks before her birthday, her 21st birthday. She wouldn't miss her birthday. With all of this being said, Layla Santanello was last seen on June 27th of this year at Marble Slab Creamery in Kingsport, Tennessee. She was wearing a white tank top, black leggings, and no shoes. She is 4'10", 115 pounds with dyed bleached blonde hair. She has various tattoos on her body, such as a Roman numeral on her collarbone and her daughter's name, Nova Grace, on her left forearm. She is a very kind and caring person, and she's a lot of fun to be around. She's also a little bit impulsive. <laughs> she loves her family dearly, um, her adoptive family, her foster family, her biological family. She loves all of them dearly. Around just 100 days later, another young female went missing in Kingsport, Tennessee, just two miles away from where Layla was last seen on June 27th. The girl's name is Holland Snap, and she's 19 years old. And honestly, her case has even more questions as it just seems she vanished in thin air. Growing up, Holland had what some would view as a difficult or challenging childhood as she grew up in foster care. Though she was eventually adopted, she was also someone who suffered 
suffered with substance abuse issues. According to the U.S. Sun, they write, quote, Holland, meanwhile, also suffered from addiction and mental health issues, and her parents told WJHL, which is a local news station, that she operated at the mental capacity of a 9 or 10-year-old. I was able to speak with Holland's former foster mother, Leslie, and this is her story. I had talked to Holland on September 27th. It was not unusual for her to message me two or three times a week at least, and she had messaged me that night pretty late. We talked back and forth to about six o'clock that morning. And she told me that she was going to rehab. And I told her I was very proud of her. I thought, you know, that was a great decision for her with some things that she had going on. Not only possible addiction, but also just some mental health things that she had going on at the time. And I told her I was very proud of her. That was a good idea. So that was her plan was to go there the next day. She was going there that morning, actually. I didn't think much of it when I hadn't heard from her. My daughter got married several days later, so I was in this whole, you know, fixated on my oldest daughter getting married. It was in the back of my mind, hey, I haven't heard from her, but she's in rehab. I know a lot of times they can't have their phones. They encourage them not to reach out the first week or so. So I was like, okay, you know, I need to contact Heather and make sure, but then we had a major birth in our family. I mean, just, you know, all these life circumstances that I was like, okay, I need to, I think it was the morning of the 19th and saw on Facebook that Heather was like, hey, has anybody seen Holland? She'd messaged me. She's like, you talked to Holland? I was like, no, I haven't. And I just knew by the date, I was like, I haven't talked to her in this long. And if Heather hasn't talked to her in that long, something's definitely wrong. I mean, that's not like Holland. Holland talked to her mom all day, every day, multiple times a day. She has not reached out at all. And that's something about Holland. Holland loves electronics. Even when she was nine, 10 years old at my house, her mother talked to her October 5th. That's the last contact we've had. We have learned that someone saw Holland on October 15th. But that's the absolute last time anyone has claimed that they've seen her or said that they saw her. I was also able to speak with Leslie's niece, Jasmine, as she knew Holland very well. And this is what she had to say regarding her disappearance. The day that she was reported missing, my aunt told me. And I remember just feeling like the world had stopped for a second because you never expect anything like that to happen to you. You always watch TV shows about it and, you know, hear about it. Even if it's a real case or not, you always hear about it. And it's always something in the back of your mind. But when it really happens to you, it's like your entire world's put on pause for just a minute. I want people to be extremely aware of this isn't an episode of Law & Order from a lot like that. This is real life she has a real family she has people that woke up with her on christmas morning and people that didn't get to spend this thanksgiving with her because she wasn't here this is very real and it's not a joke and it's not something people need to call in missing alerts about because they think they want to think funny or it will get attention it's not no one's going to stop looking for her, and it's not a game. Same thing with Layla's case. The question of could they have just up and ran away from home comes to play. So I asked Leslie this question, and this is what she said. Absolutely. People say all the time, she's not teen. She's out doing these things. You know, no, <laughs> it's not like her. She mm -hmm. told me when she was in a, a relationship uh, that was very unhealthy for her. She told me when she was doing things she shouldn't be doing. And she knew that we had unconditional love for her. Her mom, her adopted mom, myself, even her biological family. I mean, we all had contact with her 
you know, it wasn't such a leap to say, okay, has she not had contact with her biological family too? Whenever Heather was like, no, I haven't talked to her because I knew if all three of us are not hearing from her, that something's wrong. Holland Snap is only 19 years old. She is 4'8", 100 pounds. She has brown hair and hazel eyes and was last seen on October 15th of this year at Bell Ridge Drive in Kingsport, Tennessee. Both of these girls are very similar when it comes to appearances and age. They both are adults, but appear to be very childlike. By this point of my research and just kind of diving headfirst into to this case and speaking with both of the mothers, I realized that I needed to help. I currently live only an hour and a half from Kingsport, Tennessee, and they had a Christmas parade go on where they planned to hand out missing persons flyers for both Layla and Holland. So I drove down there and helped them out. All right, so I just got into my car. I'm on my way to Kingsport, Tennessee for their annual town Christmas parade. I'm going out there to help their family set up for the parade as they're going to be handing out flyers to the people on the street while I guess the parade cars go down. Ride with me to Kingsport, Tennessee. Is them running away a potential thing that they could have done? I mean, let's just be realistic. If people want to question that, 19 and 20 year old, 21 year old girls don't just go missing and not contact people. We live in the era of social media. People, if they can, are gonna talk to somebody, especially if they feel like they're in danger. Both Holland and Layla are undoubtedly similar and they're both very close in age. I asked Leslie and Jennifer if there was a possibility that they could be connected. Here's what they said. Theories that roll around in my head, but there are some weird connections. Um, they knew some of the same people. The size of them is similar. They're both tiny little childlike grown up adult women. It would not surprise me to find out that there is some type of link or connection here, but we could be completely wrong about that as well. It's one of those things I kind of go back and forth on. As more details come out, we do realize that they very much ran in the same circles. There's no proof that they knew each other at all. The proximity from where they both went missing is like 2.5 miles from one another. And, you know, just other than their height and their weight and their, um, I guess, appearance, both of them look very, could look like a child to somebody who didn't you know, know them at all. They have very concerning friends on Facebook in common. So some days I'm like, yes, I think that this is linked somehow. And then some days I'm like, there's no way that this has anything to do with the other thing. Mm -hmm. So I really don't know. <sighs> I am in utter shock and disbelief right now. So this morning I woke up like normal and I had received a text message from one of my friends who is aware that I'm covering this case. Layla and Holland still have not been found yet. My friend informed me that there is now a third missing woman in Kingsport, Tennessee. Not only is she missing in Kingsport, but she was last seen at a Five Below store. And turns out it's the exact same Five Below that Layla was last seen on June 27th. All of this information is very new and I'm honestly, I just found out like probably 30 minutes ago, but the woman's name is Shauna Lee. She's 33 years old. She was last seen on December 5th of this year. 
She is 5'8 and 140 pounds. There are such things as coincidences, but when it comes to a missing person that disappeared in the exact same area someone else disappeared from just four months prior, that is not a coincidence, that is foul play. At this point of the documentary, I literally had so many thoughts and feelings that were just bubbling over in me. My experience with the law side of things is non-existent. I feel like I'm more of a messenger, I read things online, and I tell you guys those things that I read. Kaylee, on the other hand, she's a current law student. I asked her some questions, I picked her brain, and here's what she had to say. I used to be a child welfare worker mm -hmm. here. Um, we had a crazy amount of kids that actually like, had some type of experience with trafficking. Um, we were required to take so many trainings with it. Um, mm -hmm. At school, I'm actually in a club that focuses on like anti-trafficking stuff, so we had like the FBI come and like talk to us and a lot of stuff like that. I know with a lot of the like teen girls I dealt with, they're kind of like the ideal victim mm -hmm. in a way because you got to think about it, you know, especially with addiction and stuff is you're in already like a low vulnerable place and then you know especially like a lot of younger women are very small and petite and those are just like raised green flags of these people and they're like oh that's the person to get um and i don't think that people understand that especially in knoxville in the surrounding area that it is like such a big problem you know we'd have kids that would go missing for like months at a time some of them like i don't know whatever happened to them and then others would pop back up in like Memphis or something in six months and they'd be like oh yeah I was doing this and then we had a girl that was trying to get other teen girls in it so they like kind of got out but was also still in it so because mm -hmm. I guess she was getting the pros of the side of it because mm -hmm. she was helping them get more people in so after that I realized like how prominent it actually is in this area and like when you look at how many people have actually been arrested um or even like stings that they've been looking at here it's mm -hmm. Very alarming. <laughs> do you have any recommendations of what they could do? Um, I would, there are like so many nonprofits out there, especially um, a lot of like newer attorneys or even like seasoned attorneys that work with legal aid offices mm -hmm. that, especially for victims' families, kind of give them like some answers and maybe just explain it. Cause I know that was like one of the biggest frustrations to me and why I went into law was because I was getting so frustrated about policies and learning about how things were done and I think it helps with that frustration and reassures you a little that if progress is being made and helps you know to look for just in case like that, that progress isn't being made mm -hmm. and if it's because there truly isn't anything to do or because you know somebody's being lazy on their end because I mean let's be realistic about it that's the thing about it like it's not always everybody trying hard and then sometimes people are doing their best but I would look for any like legal aid offices that you know just offer any type of assistance and insight into what the process looks like and what their like options are to just reach out and hopefully get the ball rolling like, a little quicker especially for missing persons reports like it gets so like, frustrating. It is now nighttime, but I saw a news article that Shauna Lee was found safe. In terms of what happened to her, there's no information to say the least. So whether or not her case was connected with Layla, we have no idea. Whether or not it's connected with Holland, we have no idea. I doubt that there's going to be any information past her being found safe. Nine times out of 10, when someone's found, they close the case. They move on to the next one. Regardless, I am extremely thankful that Shauna was found safe, and I look forward to the day that we find both Holland, Snap, and Layla Centinello safe as well. 
People can argue until they are blue in the face that the reason why Tennessee is becoming so dangerous is because of all the people moving here. Let me tell you that migration of people coming to and from a state has very little effect on it as a whole. The people that make changes to a state are the people in power. If you are living in Tennessee or you honestly live in a state that you're not happy with how things are being run, I encourage you to reach out to your elected officials. Educate on the people that you vote for because that is how change happens. For ways on how to get involved in each case, check out the video description. Next week, I'll be talking with the mother of 20-year-old TJ Davis, Miss Shira Davis. I previously interviewed her in April of 2022, and as of recently, I had the pleasure again to speak with her. Originally, I had planned to make this all one big video, but with there being so many cases, I had feared that one of them was bound to get swept under the rug. I simply didn't want to take that risk, especially because it's my goal to bring every case to light. Until then, I will see you next Friday. Stay safe.